talking and it don't make sense Tell me what it's all about The truth is stranger the closer you get To the who, what, where, when, how Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Guess what I heard Guess what I heard Hey, this is Know What I Heard. I'm Jamie, and on this episode, I talk with Dr. Sam Henley, who is my amazing chiropractor. And I just wanted to pick his brain a little bit about the importance of chiropractic care, what's actually happening in our bodies whenever we get adjusted, and its importance just to kind of our overall health and comfort. And so Sam was nice enough to sit down and answer my questions, and so here we go. All right. Well, would you mind, I guess, just to start, like, just kind of introducing yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Dr. Sam Henley. Uh, I am a chiropractor here in Columbia. Uh, I've been in practice for 11 years um, in December. I graduated from Logan College of Chiropractic. Um, I am a second-generation chiropractor, so my mother was a chiropractor and my uncle her brother is also a chiropractor, uh, so I assume somewhat it's in my blood. Um, I uh, really enjoy what I do. I get to uh, help people get their health back and live the most vibrant versions of themselves, uh, which is a really rewarding thing to do. I think oftentimes uh, in our modern healthcare world, we're very focused on crises and we don't spend a lot of energy towards uh, vibrancy and living. And so it's nice to have uh, the opportunity to help people with that. So. Awesome. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about like the, the schooling that you went through? Yeah. So um, I, the way I always frame it is chiropractic is very similar to medical school without the residency. Uh, there's a couple uh, key differences going in. Um, so both of them require a bachelor's beforehand, so an MD and a DC. Um, one of the key differences is chiropractic school has much lower um, a barrier entry, essentially. So uh, like the requirements to get into chiropractic school are much easier, but it is just as difficult of a program. So like a medical school, they require a lot of extra stuff. So they require, you know, high SAT scores, the MCAT, those kind of things. Uh, but I think medical schools have like a 97, 98% graduation rate, uh, whereas chiropractic schools, much easier to get into. Uh, however, graduation rates are typically lower because it is easier to get into because it's the same level of academia. So we go year round. Um, it's 10 trimesters, and each trimester is between 28 to 32 credit hours of classes. So you're in class all the time, and that first year is kind of the weed out year. So I started with 176 in my class, and we graduated with 90 of those originals. So, wow. yeah, almost half dropped out. Um, so, but aside from that, you know, instead we get a, a little bit more uh, anatomy and raw physiology. They get um, more physiology if they go like the surgery route. 
but we instead of pharmacology surgery those kind of things we get uh, you know adjusting styles and um, we get some nutritional training uh, we get more uh, philosoph philosophical classes as well um, so yeah it's the we get same biochemistry microbiology um, anatomy we do and that gross anatomy one and two uh, neuroanatomy one and two so we have to do uh, cadaver dissections um, which was simultaneously the grossest and most rewarding experience of my life um, but yeah so that's kind of in a nutshell the difference and then obviously so that would be the first chunk of an md so once uh, you as an md you get that you're a medical doctor but almost everybody goes on to a residency. So you'd pick, oh, I'm going to go to psychiatric or surgical or, uh, and then even after that, you could then go on to be a fellow. And so like a surgeon um, could be like a general surgeon and then they could get a fellowship in like bariatric surgery, for example. Um, whereas chiropractic, it pretty much the buck stops after you're a doctor. Um, there's uh, definitely uh, we do a preceptor, so we have clinical hours and we treat people in the community and we uh, can even have opportunities to go out and treat in other clinics. Um, but once you get your doctorate, it's kind of like, be free, little doctor, and go figure it out, um, whereas medicine is much more structured. Okay. So I think that there's kind of some misconceptions about just chiropractic care in general that unless you have like an old rugby injury or were in a car accident or something that I guess is just kind of a misconception that that's when it's needed. Can you explain some of the misconceptions about chiropractic care and maybe explain some of the common, like the ailments that you like see a lot that maybe people don't attach to chiropractic care? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's an artifact of the way we view health in this country. Uh, you know, like I said, we're very much our healthcare. I'm gonna use air quotes. Our healthcare system is very much crisis intervention, um, and for better or worse, you know, like if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, you take me to the ER. Like if I get an infectious disease, I want the best antibiotics money can buy. Um, where that struggles is when we start dealing with health. And so I think uh, a lot of times chiropractic does get lumped into that musculoskeletal pain relief. Um, and it does that very well. That's also kind of the tip of the iceberg. So um, a lot of what I uh, really strive to do is um, when people first come in is first off, we have to address what their complaints are, right? If I was like, oh, well, I don't really care that you're in pain. I need to talk to you about health. You're like, no, bro, fix my shoulder or like my, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, a lot of what I see, uh, I would say in modern day is not those real acute traumas. Uh, it's more those long-term chronic things like sitting all day. You know, um, the more we uh, learn, the more we find that sitting all day is really challenging our bodies. And, uh, Historically, you know, as humans have evolved, we've never sat as much as we sit now. So we get things like lower cross and upper cross, which is where certain muscles get tight and lengthened. And um, I know that's something that you we've been working with with you um, yeah. as a professional <laughs> professional sitter. Um, so I would say that's in broad strokes one of the big things. Uh, I think where some of the misconceptions lie are. Um, just in that, you know, one that a lot of people don't know that chiropractors treat is like tendonitis. So carpal tunnel, plantar fasciitis, um, 
uh, those type of things, TMJ issues, which is uh, jaw stuff. Um, what I always tell people is kind of a catch-all is like if it involves a joint or a muscle, there's a chance that chiropractic can make an impact. Um, and so that's uh, in broad strokes what I would, what I would kind of say. So whenever you are working with someone and they're getting corrected, like what are some things – because I've heard like digestion, I mean, like just all kinds of things that end up kind of being corrected. And you're like, oh, my God, I didn't even know that this could be attached. Yeah. Are there any other things like that that you can think of? So, yeah, there's um, I could list research. I could list research. I could list. So the the what I always tell people is, um, you know, our nervous system is the master control system of the body. It controls quite literally everything. And if you look at a human body, the way that our body is designed, it protects things by laying down bone and it protects them in order of survival. So you look at like my hand, like my hand, I love my hands. They're very important to me. I could live without my hand. So there's not like bone wrapped around this thing. As you go closer, you know, organs are encased in ribs. So they're, you, we could lose some of our organs. We would probably like to keep them. They're more important. You look at the nervous system and the nervous system is completely encased in bone um, because it's really how our body communicates and expresses health. And so when we're, um, as a chiropractor, we call it subluxated. So when we're out of alignment or, you know, have that bad posture, uh, we literally stress out the nervous system. And so what we know about the body is we have what's called a physiological reserve, which all of our systems have of this. So like when I take a deep breath, as much as I can, um, I only need about 60% of that air. The other 40% is going like, okay, well, what if we damage a lung or as we get older or if you smoke or whatever? It's the same with blood volume. It's the same across the board. Well, the same thing happens in our nervous system as we can have impingements on the nervous system. And it doesn't necessarily cause symptoms, uh, but it decreases our function overall. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why I like to look at that and go, how can we help Jamie be the most vibrant version? And part of that is removing that interference. And I mean, the first ever um, chiropractic patient, uh, and it's crazy because we uh, don't really conceptually know how this happened, but it's been repeated. He was actually blind. So he lost his vision when he was in his 20s. Um, in his 30s, he met Dee Dee Palmer, who's the founder of Chiropractic, got a, a rudimentary adjustment, and his vision came back, which is crazy because the optic nerves are contained in the brain. And we have some theories with how that happened, uh, but it literally happened again about five years ago. Uh, there was a guy lost his vision in his 20s. He went to get uh, all of the scans. They're like, we don't know why you lost your vision. Sorry, you're blind. Um, and then like a couple years later, he was having migraines, went to see a chiropractor, got adjusted on the car ride home. He was a passenger. His eyes started watering and his vision came back. Um, and so it's one of those things where uh, when you allow the body to heal and express itself, everything is better. Um, and that's, you know, I think a slippery slope because some chiropractors claim to like, oh yeah, we can treat GI problems or we can treat asthma. Uh, and we're not treating anything. What we're doing is we're allowing your body to express itself better. And the same, like I have patients that have their asthma's improved. Um, one of my patients, I love her to death. She always comes in. She goes, oh, yeah, I need to get adjusted. I'm not pooping as well. I'm like, thank you for sharing. That's, I'm glad that you poop better after you get adjusted. That's an important cool. part of life. Yeah. So. Okay. So we talked about an adjustment, which I think everybody's 
got a good idea of what that is, but can you explain what's actually happening Absolutely. during an adjustment or like yeah. the goal of an adjustment? So there's um, many different techniques. Uh, I always say chiropractors are like artists because uh, that's one of the challenges uh, with chiropractic and double blind studies is because it's almost impossible to do a double blind study on chiropractic because uh, you kind of know if you got adjusted, right? You're not like, look over there. Oh, I adjusted you. Um, <laughs> so there's many different techniques and styles. Uh, what I always say is if you took 20 artists and you said, hey, here, we're going to sit you in the same spot, paint a landscape, they would all look different. Um, and so there's many different um, techniques with different goals, but they all revolve around getting more uh, either movement or neurological feedback in the joint motor unit, basically. Um, some of them revolve around uh, structure and x-rays and making sure we have the proper curves in our spine so that positionally everything is where it needs to be. Uh, some of them are more around movement fixations. Uh, so that's one of the things I do when I'm pushing on your back and palpating is I'm feeling for where there's a restriction and we want that movement to be homogenous. Um, but what we're doing when we do an adjustment, it can be low force or it can be high force. So it can be like the activator is more of a low force technique, um, which is much gentler. So we don't have to have the, the sound or we can do more of a manual adjustment, which is what I typically do with you, which is where we do get some of the cavitation, which is the sound. Uh, but what we're doing is we're doing a couple things. We're moving the joint. So we get this flood of, um, neurotransmitters that fire up those nerve signals and they kind of make your body pay attention to it. We're actually on a um, cellular level, we're breaking down scar tissue because uh, what happens is our body wants to kind of heal things. And so if we have a little trauma or even just a postural strain or maybe you just tweak something, your body wants to heal that as quickly as possible. Well, when it heals, it kind of looks like a ball of gunk when it heals. So we have to actually what's called linearize that tissue and make sure it's smooth and laid out like it needs to. So we're doing that. Uh, and then we're also uh, just helping to activate what's called proprioception. So proprioception is how I can close my eyes and touch my nose. It's my body's uh, identifier of where it is in space. And that proprioception um, has a direct... Um, so proprioception and pain are complete opposite pathways, so they shut each other down. So when we are experiencing pain, where it's part of the reason why we're less coordinated and we can't always determine, that's why people kind of walk funny or antalgic. Well, when we fire proprioception, it helps our body decrease nociception, which is the sensation of pain. So those are kind of the three main mechanisms, regardless of how you're getting adjusted, what's happening. So, Okay. When you are getting adjusted or you pop your knuckles or whatever, like what is that sound? Like what is happening in your joint that makes that sound? Yeah. So it's called, if you want to sound fancy, it's a cavitation. So you can say, Oh, when I cavitate my finger. Um, <laughs> so what's actually happening is every joint has a capsule. So there's uh, basically a connective tissue wraps around the, the two articular surfaces. And as a byproduct of natural metabolism, um, some of those cells generate nitrogen. And so what you're doing anytime you cavitate a joint, could be a finger or a spinal joint, is you're stretching that joint capsule just enough that some of the nitrogen escapes. 
Um, and so that's actually, there are times where I'll go to adjust somebody and we won't get the cavitation. And it could be that they're just a little dehydrated or they moved and that joint kind of released some of the gas. So the sound is actually a byproduct of the movement, but the movement is what's the actual adjustment. Okay. I think everybody's at some point been like, don't pop your knuckles, you'll get arthritis. Is it really dangerous to pop your own joints? And where's that line between safety and, or not safety, but like, yeah. where's the harm line? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. So um, yes and no, and I'll explain why. So our fingers are what are called an open chain joint. So when I mobilize my finger, uh, this joint is, it's the only joint that it touches. There's no other joints that are influenced by this joint. So it is completely fine to pop your fingers and mobilize your, your fingers. Uh, pop your fingers will not cause arthritis. Um, Sweet. Because, again, that joint, it, it's, it kind of lives in a vacuum, right? It, there's a bone and then there's no other joints that are directly in parallel with this. When you look at the spine, depending on cervical, thoracic, or lumbar, there's anywhere from four to six joints that that one vertebrae is attached to. So if I um, you know, crack my own neck and I tilt that joint, well, there's four other joints, potentially more, that are affected by it. And that's where you can get into trouble because it's a very, um, very complicated joint structure. And that's where you actually can cause some damage is when, if you start mobilizing your own spinal joints. Um, we actually had a uh, classmate in chiropractic school where uh, she would always do like this guy and we were like, what are you doing? You're in chiropractic school. Like A, let us experiment on you like so we can learn, but B, like you know better. And I literally remember when this happened, uh, I sat like, she sat three rows behind me that way. And um, I heard her just go, oh, bleep. It, it, oh shit and yeah, uh do it uh, yeah just i'm just getting yeah. it out there. Um, <laughs> and we we're all like what happened and she like set up left class got an x-ray she actually cracked one of her transverse processes in her cervical spine from adjusting her neck um cool. it was an adjustment from yeah so that's wow. uh it was a good life lesson for her and for <laughs> all of us and um so there there can be uh challenge to that. What I always tell people is it still feels good. Like if you've ever, and there are, there are ways that it's safe. Like I tell people to foam roll. And a lot of times when you're foam rolling, you'll get like crackles and pops. And that's completely safe and effective because you're moving with the plane of the joints. Um, the neck specifically, I tell people never to do. Uh, often what's happening in the neck, as well as, you know, compromising positions and not being trained is oftentimes you have areas that are hypermobile, which move too much and they move very easily. And then you have areas that are hypomobile, which is typically the areas that a chiropractor would adjust, which are not moving enough. Well, if you're mobilizing your own neck, typically you're putting movement into areas that are already moving excessively. And so you're compounding the problem. It does feel good in the short term because, again, you're getting joints to move, so you're activating that proprioception. Uh, however, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure down the line. And I've, I've heard horror stories about people popping their necks and having strokes. I would – so that one is um, – we can dive into that one because that's one of the things that um, chiropractors will, like – I will still to this day hear people come in like, oh, I don't want you to adjust my neck because I'm worried I'll have a stroke. Uh, 
uh, and it's really not um, biomechanically available to put enough stress on the uh, carotids, the internal carotids, to actually cause a stroke. Uh, they did a big meta-analysis. Uh, this was in the late 90s, I think. They found that the rates of stroke in a chiropractic office are identical to the rates of stroke in a medical doctor's office. So what would happen would people would be having symptoms of a stroke, headache, neck pain, uh, very typical things you'd go to see either primary care or chiropractor for, uh, and then they would get an adjustment because that's you know, treatment modality and chiropractors would not be the most diligent of screening. And then they'd be like, oh, that's what caused the stroke, uh, when in fact they were pre-stroke or having a stroke when they walked in the doors. Uh, gotcha. It's still, so it's about, with both cases, it's about one and six million encounter that uh, somebody comes into the office. Um, so I can get into the cynical part of why I think that happens. Uh, there's been a big push from uh, pharmaceuticals to not pay chiropractors because we don't prescribe. And that was actually one of the kind of smear campaigns they did is like, oh, let's push this narrative that uh, chiropractors cause strokes and then they're like oh that oh, didn't work okay so yikes but um, you can definitely do some damage stroke is one of those where uh, it takes a lot of a lot of force to actually cause a stroke i mean our we were evolved to have a pretty flexible neck well i i live alone and i've gotten a little bit crafty and i've figured out that i can pop my back on my countertop so as my doctor, uh, what do you think of that? Would you like me to never do that again? So I assume you're getting like shoulder blades, like mid thoracic spine. Oh, like my mid mid to lower yeah. back. Yeah. And so that's actually um, like in the realm of safe uh, because okay. the main movement of uh, the thoracic spine is extension. And so that's kind of the same thing that I'll do with the foam roller. Like I would happily teach you some more effective ways to do that as opposed to like <laughs> getting on the countertop. Um, but I'll do the same thing with the foam roller. Like I will basically get up and kind of flex and I'll think about having gravity push through the plane of the joints. And oftentimes I'll get big clunks and releases in my thoracic spine. Um, so that one is is uh, on the in the realm of safe. The same thing, I have a lot of guys who are athletes that they'll have the dad do the locker room hug which is where you walk up and you like arms around and give the bear hug and give the shake yeah. uh, and realistically that's i mean it's fairly safe yeah okay yeah because i think everybody's got like that giant friend or a big uncle that's always like yeah i got you and it's like yep. thanksgiving everybody's getting cracked and i'm like um maybe we should stop that <laughs> where you get in trouble is uh never induce rotation with that movement that's when okay. you're going to actually hurt yourself because again those joints are meant to flex and extend and they're meant to rotate but if you rotate them under load without knowing what you're doing that's where you're going to potentially actually cause a subluxation versus moving some of those joints so. okay um well just in my experience and my adjustments there's been a couple things that have happened that you like explained to me the reasons why and I thought that they were really interesting. Do you mind if I ask you about those two things and have you explain them? Um, because the first was you were like really working on a muscle in my back and I was like, oh my God, it's making me sweat. And you said, that's actually a really good thing. And I, I think that people, like if you're giving someone a massage and you're really working on a muscle, you start to sweat. Can you explain what that reaction is? Absolutely. So it's twofold. 
Uh, first off is we're increasing blood flow to the area, which is always a good thing. That's how we heal. Uh, we want inflammation in the short term because that's how we heal a trauma. Um, but what I was referring to is we have uh, what's called the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic is that fight or flight reaction. It's uh, being chased by a bear. All the blood goes to our muscles and like it's get out of dodge. Um, and it's very much short term survival. Uh, it's not really worried about your internal body temperature or digesting or any of those things. Uh, and then we have the opposite, which is the parasympathetic, which is the exact dichotomy. So it's that like recover, rest, relax, digest, uh, more worried about internal homeostasis. And that's the, the part of the nervous system that fires to cause us to sweat because it's about regulating our internal body temperature. So what happens is after a good adjustment, a lot of times people will start to sweat out of the blue because uh, the, an adjustment often activates the parasympathetic nervous system. So it gets that kind of recovery and rest part of your nervous system firing. And then the other thing that happened, which was just a few days ago, um, you were working on my neck, rubbing, you know, just working on a muscle in my neck. And I was like, it's making my head hurt. I had a pain, like a sharp pain above my right eye just while you were working on that. And you explained that as well. Yeah, uh, that happens often. It's it's humans are fascinating the way we're wired, but that's called a sclerotogenous pain referral. Uh, and essentially what it is, is the analogous, uh, the thing I always say is an analogy. It's not the perfect metaphor, but everyone knows it is you've heard of people having a heart attack, right? And they're like, their left arm will hurt. Uh, well, what happens oftentimes, especially in that case, so I was working on your suboccipital triangle and there's a nerve right there that actually innervates the skin and the muscles of the, the scalp and up into the um, top of the eye. And so oftentimes when there's a strong stimulus, your body can't necessarily determine where along that pathway uh, the pain comes from. And so it's almost like the whole nerve tract or elsewhere on the nerve will hurt. Uh, and so it's kind of where we're pressing somewhere central, but it causes pain peripherally because um, it's that same nerve pathway. And the same thing happens um, a lot of times you hear the word sciatica. Um, true sciatica is pretty rare. A lot of what people call sciatica is something very similar. It's when the SI joint is out of alignment or subluxated and it, it causes such discomfort that your whole leg will ache. And people often be like, oh, I got sciatica. Um, sciatica, the true definition is where there's pressure on the sciatic nerve and it feels like there's an electric shock shooting down your leg. So uh, same phenomenon happens. Okay. Do you recommend chiropractic care for everyone? Or do you think like everyone could benefit from, like what would just kind of maintenance, I guess, look like? Yeah, and I think, um, of course, I'm gonna say yes to that. Cause I think, uh, again, it, it, and it's, uh, one of the misconceptions you hear from a lot of people is like, oh, I don't wanna go to a chiropractor cause then I'll have to go forever. Um, and I always challenge people. I was like, everything we do in life is about choices, right? Like you could stop brushing your teeth tomorrow if you chose to. There are consequences to that. You will have cavities, your teeth may fall out. Uh, and it's the same with everything. Like you could stop drinking water and only drink soda. There are consequences to that. So uh, chiropractic is an effective tool to keep your spine healthy. And oftentimes, um, most of my patients, once they've 
been through an acute phase care plan. So like, oh, I hurt something, let me get that to resolved. Uh, some form of continuation is always beneficial because they want to continue to be able to move and function and uh, live you know, the way that they've been living. Um, and you know, truthfully, uh, I do think it benefits everybody. My youngest patients were my children. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever witnessed a birth, childbirth. They can be quite aggressive. Uh, a lot, especially the the longer the birth, the ch the child's neck literally looks like this when they're stuck in the birth canal. So that can oftentimes be the first trauma. And so we can work on newborn babies. It's obviously a very different process because their joints are not fully formed and they're mostly cartilage. Uh, but same, like kids beat themselves up. They're just much more bouncy than we are, so they don't complain. Um, so my boys come in and they get adjusted once a week, um, just whether they're complaining or not. Sometimes. Uh, it's more if like my eight year old does jujitsu. So they're like last week he was like, yeah, somebody double legged me and I like bonked my head. And so we, you know, we got him in to get him adjusted. Um, but it's the type of thing that I think, uh, it's a different, um, philosophy behind why you would continue as opposed to medicine, right? Cause you're like, oh, well I don't need to go see my medical doctor if nothing's wrong. Maybe that like once a year checkup or blood work, whereas chiropractic, uh, it's the same, you know, massage as well. I know you uh, utilize massage for your physical health. Uh, it's those type of things where oftentimes, uh, have you ever like felt pretty good, but you're like, you know, I'm still going to go get a massage because I know that there's air things that she'll catch and work out before, you know, I have that big knot that develops. Uh, and it's the same with chiropractic. Uh, a lot of times we can mitigate some of those hiccups that happen from day-to-day -day life before they snowball and they turn into issues. That's always much more ideal. You know, what I typically tell people is if you are proactive with things, it's far easier than if you wait till there's a big blowout. Uh, it's just we're not wired to do that. So we usually wait till there's a catalyst to change our behavior. Right. I mean, there's the obvious ones like, oh, my neck's hurts, my back or whatever. But like, what symptoms would you tell people I guess if they're experiencing to definitely yeah. seek out chiropractic uh, care. Neck pain, headaches, back pain. Uh, those are like the big, bold, flashing, neon sign ones that I get a lot of. Uh, same, I do a lot with like carpal tunnel, um, knee plantar fasciitis stuff because conservative care can really play and dovetail into that, especially when you look at movements. Not all chiropractors do that same movement screen that I do, so we look very functionally and we incorporate some exercise and homework stuff. Um, but same, like uh, I love seeing athletes, whatever phase they are, whether they're injured or looking to prevent injuries. Uh, almost every single athlete before they step on, on a professional forum, before they step out onto their field to play, has been adjusted that day. Almost every professional NFL team has multiple chiropractors. All of the uh, baseball teams. There was a, a one of my teachers. He was actually one of the chiropractors for the Cardinals when they won the World Series. So he got a ring. But he's like, yeah, before every game, we would go out there and we would adjust those guys. And they are not hurting. It's just so that they're at absolute peak physical, you know, neurological firing before they go out and play. Um, and so a lot of times it can even just be, I want improved function. You know, I want to make sure I'm, you know at my peak if I'm an athlete or if I'm uh, you know, just looking for an improvement. So, But I would say the big, like the easy ones are those neck pain, back pain, headaches, 
you know, carpal tunnel, tendonitis, those kind of things. Because those are typically the points where people are like, this is impacting my life negatively. I have to change this. Right. So do you have any stories that you could share, like some of the most rewarding situations or, you know, things that you've helped people with? I think the one that sticks with me the most, because it was, I was very early in practice and yeah, I have, I have a ton of those. Um, but there was one, um, she, I was probably six months into practice and, you know, still floundering around, figuring out my way as a, as a chiropractor, um, figuring out how to run a business. And this gal had gotten in a car accident two years ago. Somebody had rear-ended her like going 50 miles per hour. And from that moment until this moment, two years later, uh, she had been in constant pain. And I literally remember I adjusted her and she starts bawling. And I'm like, what did, are you okay? Like, did I, what did I do? Uh, and she like pops up off the table and gives me a hug. And she goes, this is the first time in two years that I haven't been experiencing pain. And I was wow. like, oh, wow, that's just really cool. Um, but, you know, I get, you know, I think uh, it's pretty cool what our body is capable of healing from when we allow it the, the chance to. Uh, I have a, a patient who uh, we got a pretty significant reversal of her cervical curve. So her cervical curve was tilting forward, which is not what you want. You want it to tilt backwards. Uh, and she, I mean, she was under like eight months of care. So it was a long process. Um, but it was literally when she first came in, uh, one of the things they've done studies on, they showed that a decreased cervical curvature literally slows down blood flow to the brain. Uh, because you're anterior, so it puts pressure. It's like a 25 to 30 percent reduction. So it can cause brain fog and just. And this gal was just like she was out of it when she came in, and she's a little older. Uh, she still comes in, and after that eight month period, she would come in. She'd be smiling. She could like move her neck around. She was she was very much a different person. And her daughter is a patient also. And she's like she's so much more um, just present and like vibrant and like actually participating because she doesn't feel foggy all the time. And so that was a recent story that was just really cool. Um, because again, she came in cause her neck was hurting and we actually gave her something she didn't know she was looking for. And that was just, she's more, um, her brain's literally getting more blood. And so she's able to you know, be a more functional human. So that was really cool. Right. That's awesome. I think that's like all of my questions. The things that I definitely wanted to cover, what do you have that you want to share or add want people to know yeah you asked really good questions um i didn't come to this with any real expectations so i think honestly everything that i would have liked to say you prompted me with questions so um i would say i think uh, one of the things that i challenge everybody to and this is not just chiropractic, but I think we are really guilty of confirming our bias in our modern time that we live in. And whether that's, you know, even if you're pro-chiropractic, I think it'd be encouraged to look elsewhere. Uh, I recently had an example in my life where I was living from a bias and I just like started asking questions and I was like, oh, I'm probably not correct in this. And so um, I would just say in broad strokes, uh, to anybody that may be listening, maybe you're pro-chiropractic, maybe you're not, is just like suspend disbelief and just question things. Uh, that's why I really, I'm happy that you invited me and this has been really fun, uh, is because I think one of the positive that comes from conversation is we can like try on new ideas and see if they're valid. Uh, 
I think that's a very valuable skill to have, uh, especially like these days. It feels like people get in their own little echo chambers and don't actually branch out. So um, that wasn't necessarily chiropractic related, but I would encourage people to try to come from that perspective. I think we get more when we can uh, get a little uncomfortable and try on different ideas than if we just live in our own little bubble. So. Yeah, and I mean, I think that we just kind of tend to, I mean, only seek help, I guess, or think that something's really wrong if, like, your appendix burst or you're vomiting for 24 hours straight. Like, we just kind of have learned to live with pain and discomfort, and it's like if you're knee doesn't bend sideways every time you take a step we just are like oh whatever and then kind of in my case I mean at 39 years old I finally went to a chiropractor and I'm like oh my god I didn't realize until you showed me like how my horrible my posture was I was like all wonky when I you know and I I mean just so many things I was like I've just been kind of running with this and just letting myself be uncomfortable and then when you kind of that starts to go away you're like oh my god shit all right and i it's just i i wish that we just kind of as a society didn't just let ourselves eh, i don't want to be a whiner i don't know what it is that we just kind of let ourselves i have theories you know i i can get cynical because i think part of it is i think there's a lot of systems in place designed to keep people unhealthy truthfully uh you know I'll get, I'll get slightly off to left field, but the powers that be don't want an educated, healthy, open-minded society. Those people are very difficult to govern. When you're healthy and you're not afraid of your health and when you can take care of yourself and when you ask questions, it's a scary thing to be controlled. Um, and I think one of the ways we control people is through health. You know, we, we've normalized a lot of unhealthy behaviors. We normalize a lot of things that are, uh, we're the only country that allows pharmaceutical ads on TV. Uh, we consume 65% of the world's drugs. America does. Like we have been taught from a very young age to just cover things up and just deal with them. Uh, and I think, yeah, it's that's exactly like we've been taught to not be present with ourselves, and that's whether physically or emotionally or spiritually. Uh, and I think that's why we deflect. And uh, I mean, heck, like this is. Uh, a dangerous device because if I'm feeling uncomfortably emotionally, I can just go look at, you know, cats or uh, hate speech and confirm what I want to think about the world instead of sitting with those thoughts. And it's the same thing with physical discomfort, right? We just kind of like, oh, it's really bad. I'll take an ibuprofen today, but it's not that bad. And, you know, we just kind of wash over it. So I think, I think it's not just one thing. I think it's just where we're at, but it's wonderful to hear that you're being more present in your body because it's, it's cool when you start to pay attention. Yeah. Um, I have a, pa I had a patient, he's moved away. Um, he was an electrician and uh, I typically find the people that come in skeptical are tend to be very good patients because they're like, oh man, I was wrong and this has been great for me. Um, but he was one of those, he like, I remember him coming in and he was gruff and he's like, well, I don't really think this is gonna work, but I'll give you a shot. Uh, he followed through with his care plan got really good results. And this was probably like um, his third or fourth like maintenance adjustment where he was feeling good. And he walked in and he goes, Doc, I don't know whether to punch you or hug you. And I was like, okay, uh, please explain. I don't want to get punched. And he goes, well, it used to be, you know, I would hurt all the time. And so 
I, I would never really notice when I hurt just because I would hurt all the time. And now I feel so darn good all the time. Whenever I hurt, I immediately notice it. And I was like, well, that's a good thing, right? I mean, you feel good all the time. So it's just an interesting perspective that he had because, you know, for years of his life, it was just normal threshold was pain. Right. And now it was like, oh, it's not pain. So. Yeah, that's crazy. Just kind of whenever we were talking about this, it's just like dawned on me a little bit. But do you think that there's a correlation between either hes- hesitancy with chiropractic care or like our, the healthcare system not pushing more for chiropractic care and the opioid crisis here? I would say I never like to blame people individually because I think that that's a slippery slope. Like I don't, I never think a medical doctor maliciously prescribes opioids, right? They're just doing the best that they can. Um, But absolutely, I, and it's hard for me to say this, but I absolutely believe that that is in part a failing of chiropractors. Right. I mean, the Sacklers are truly evil. You can look up. I read a book on it about how they literally knew it was addictive and they did everything possible to get humans addicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a failing on chiropractors and society because the number one cause of people getting on opioids is back pain and chiropractors treat that without any drugs. And so uh, I do. I mean, it's it's still a very tangible problem. Uh, last year, and I think it was worse because of all that's been going on in the society, but last year, I think it was like 85,000 people died of opioid overdose. Um, yeah. so it's a large number. I mean, and that's not okay. And those are people that oftentimes were prescribed them because they were in back pain. And then once you've taken it, they did a, they, three, three to five doses and you're addicted. Three to five doses, doses of opioids. And so, uh, yeah, it's really, it's, you know, it's a life or death situation. And I think even as a chiropractor, it's sometimes it's easy to disempower the effect that we can have on people. And, you know, uh, I'm not a trauma surgeon. In the moment, I am not saving somebody's life. I'm not stitching them back together so that their blood doesn't spray all over the OR room. And we absolutely save lives because if we keep one person from ever trying opioids, that's potentially a life saved. Because um, a lot of people that overdose, you know, we want to demonize them as a culture. That's another issue with drugs in general. And However, you know, you think like, oh, well, they're just drug addicts and like, no, a lot of these people were moms and dads and brothers and sisters and veterans and like, uh, we should never be okay with anybody in our society that's dying for any reason, let alone drug addiction. Right. It would just be really nice if instead of immediately being prescribed opioids, you know, they would be like, how about you do five sessions with a chiropractor? And like just how many lives that could save would be amazing. I had a good friend who was a surgeon and I felt a little better after talking with her because uh, that bias exists internally in medicine as well. Uh, I truly, I mean, you have to be driven and you have to have a measure of ego in order to be a doctor. You know, we have to work our tail off. We have to be confident. uh, And I think that causes friction in that referral process because you want to think that you have everybody's answer. Um, And so I think some of that exists even in the medical community amongst other medical practitioners as well. But I completely agree with you. Um, I'm a, it's one of the reasons I love jujitsu is because I show up multiple times a week and get humbled. And so it really, really reminds me to check my ego in every capacity in life. Uh, And I think that that's important for us as humans because yeah, when we get 
ego, we get hubris, and that's where we fail, and we fail people. So, but I would agree. I think that, uh, and now we're going the opposite end, and now they're like realizing this. They're like, well, we're just going to cut off everybody from ever taking opioids ever. And you're like, okay, well, there's some people that are in really severe chronic pain that need them too, and so, yeah, it's yeah, they actually take them properly and yeah, don't exactly. abuse them. Yeah, so it's a pickle. That's it's a fact. It's a pickle. Yeah, a real pickle. Not a so. good pickle. Not like a dill pickle. Mm-hmm. Like a, a bad. Like a really old. Pickle. Yeah, like a dried out little moldy pickle. Yeah, like it was just on the sidewalk. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to add, Doctor Sam? Not that I can think of. No. Thanks for having me on, Jamie. This was really fun. Awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh-huh. And I'll see you tomorrow at 3.30. At 3.30. Looking so. forward to it. And I won't pop my back tonight on the countertop. Yeah. I'll stop doing that. I'll show you tomorrow how to use a foam roller. So okay. Perfect. We'll upgrade, we'll upgrade your self-manipulation. Self, uh, okay. Sounds good. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Night. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye. Okay. Huge thank you to Dr. Sam for taking the time to answer all of my questions. I appreciate it. And thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast and supporting Know What I Heard. If you could please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave five-star ratings or whatever the highest rating is, a glorious review, whatever you can do, it all helps tremendously. Tell your friends, like the Facebook page at Know What I Heard Podcast, follow us on Instagram. If you have any questions or want to give me some show ideas, they're always appreciated. You can send an email to knowwhatiheard at gmail.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, be kind, keep it real. And until next time, hey, know what I heard?